to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Galatians chapter 5. I prefer expository preaching. I prefer, you know, working through a verse, working through a, a chapter or a book and, and pulling out. And it's very difficult in the format that we're, the schedule that we're keeping to be able to do that. So you're going to get another topical message this morning. It's one I've been thinking about quite a bit, and I felt the Lord laid it on my heart to share it here this morning as well. So we're going to use Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, or beginning in verse 1, as our springboard this morning. If everyone's there, we'll start reading. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. To do the whole law. In verse 5, it continues on and says, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Literally, it's saying here that you've become void of Christ. That is, your connection with Christ has become void. The state, this statement shows the end of a pattern of behavior. It doesn't depict the loss of salvation by any means, and we'll talk about that briefly in a little bit. But it does reflect a pattern of growth in our spiritual lives. It says Christ has become, has become of no effect unto you. One commentator said it has been uh, deprived, the Holy Spirit of God has been deprived of force and influence and power, rendered inactive and useless. Two times in Scripture, we read of milk and meat. Once in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, and the other in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. And both are, negative, are used in, in a negative connotation, proclaiming that you're not where you should be. And both are used, uh, both use illustrations compared to, to a growth pattern. As a child, we're governed by rules and regulations and, and dependence. We're to be obedient to our parents. Our heart attitudes follow the correct actions. We are under the direct protection and provision of our parents. Discipline and correction are immediate, or, or should be, and our knowledge of the world is limited. And our growing sustenance, if you will, is that, of, is that of milk. As an adult, we're governed by freedom and liberty and self-reliance. We're to honor our parents. Correct behavior comes because of heart attitudes. Parental influence and help is dependent on good relationships. Natural consequences affect the direction of our life. And our knowledge of the world is somewhat complete. We know how things work. We get an idea of how things, are, how things work, although not infinite. And our growing sustenance is that of, is that of meat. You see, when we mature, we, be, we behave differently. Our diet is altered, and our understanding is diverse. Likewise, the law addresses rules and regulations and dependence. Our obedience is to the lawgiver. Run through a stop sign in Elmer and find out. <laughs> Heart belief comes after correct actions. Direct protection and provision is provided supernaturally by God. We are subject to immediate judgment and correction. 
and our knowledge of God is limited. Grace, however, encompasses freedom and liberty and self-control. We seek to honor the grace giver. Correct actions come because of heart belief. Natural blessings and provisions come providentially from God, and natural consequences are allowed to happen. And full knowledge of the Bible is all we need for life and godliness. This morning, we're going to talk about law and grace. Law and grace. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your goodness. Most of all, I thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. I thank you that we're able to come this morning, gathered together, and know that you're here with us. Where two or more are gathered, there you will be, and we know that you're in our midst, Lord. And we pray that you would do a work in our hearts, each one of us, Father, to be able to serve you better. Help us to understand how we can be misled down that law highway, Lord, and, and somehow leave your grace by the wayside. Father, we'll just thank you for what you do for us today and pray that you would receive all the honor and glory that you surely deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, law is a performance-based system. Many times it's conveyed as an if-then conditional statement. If there's any programmers in the room, right? A conditional statement is false if the hypothesis is true and the, condi- and the conclusion is false. And I think we all understand this. If you don't fill up your gas tank, then you're going to run out of gas. And you can think of it as, a, as the consequences to your actions. If you do this, then that will happen. We have numerous examples of that throughout Scripture. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 26 says, And the Lord said, If... I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 1 says, And if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of it, if he, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 7, If a man be found, uh, found stealing of any of his brethren, of the children of Israel, and maketh merchandise of him, or selleth him, then that thief shall die, and thou shalt put away evil from among you. Joshua 24 and verse 20, If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt, and consume you after that he hath done you good. 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 14, And if thou wilt walk in my ways, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen your days. If you get a chance to read through Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30 sums it up very simple. Do and live or die. That's it. You see, the problem here is if. That if is the problem. But that's how the law works. It's based on ifs. Galatians 3 chapter 10, or Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10 says, For as many as of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Curseth is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Without grace, law is our governing factor. We can't be mistaken that the law is scriptural. It's there for our learning. It's there for a purpose. As a matter of fact, the law is necessary to understand grace and understanding that we can't keep it. It's a great way, I don't know, I'm sure most, if not all of us, have seen an example, or maybe we've used it as, as an example, to leading someone to Christ and walk them through, 
through the law. Walk them through the Ten Commandments. And I'm not sure anybody, if they're, they're honest, cannot go through and at least find one thing in the Ten Commandments that you'd agree upon that they've failed at, that they've sinned. Even if it's taken something that wasn't theirs, a pen, a pencil. And the Bible says that under the law, if you offend in one point, then you've offended in all. So the law is, 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 is scriptural. The law is there for a purpose and for a reason. However, as we contrast it with grace, grace delivers liberty. God's grace is the free grace system. And free doesn't mean cheap. It didn't cost you or I anything, but it wasn't cheap. Think about it if you buy someone an expensive gift and you give it to them. That transfer of ownership doesn't diminish the value of that thing. Grace is the culmination of all spiritual blessings in Christ. When the Bible speaks of confession is made unto salvation, it's concluded that something, it's something that we already have. We've already been complete in Christ. I don't know if I shared this with you before, but I have difficulty when, with the, the prayer of salvation. And that is when if I sit down with someone and, and tell them or give them a prayer to pray. You know, I, I think that a, that a small child is able to convey in their own words that prayer. And for me to put words in their mouth, I, I, I struggle with that. One of the things that, that, uh, that, I, that I think about that I think about is that before they even pray that, pray that prayer, I think salvation has already taken place. Before, the, before their words are even uttered, they've already understood their condition before a holy God. They already realize that they cannot pay the fee required. They already trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ for the payment of the penalty of their sin. And grace has already delivered them, and then confession confirms it. It's vital that we understand the difference between law and grace. And you may say, oh, I got this. This is basic Christianity to understand law and grace. How could I possibly, possibly confuse it? Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. Here we have another conditional statement. I'll call it the if-then-else-if-then. <laughs> the if-then-else-if-then statement. It says, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, if we apply the law to this system, then our motivation is to get something. I'll forgive others. Why? Well, because I want to be forgiven. You see, we can easily apply the law without even knowing it. And it boils down to this. Why do we do the things we do? Grace is applied much differently to this. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. You see, grace produces the same fruit and that of forgiveness. But our motivation is because God forgave us. Because we, we resolve in our hearts not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And both are designed to produce good fruits, to produce the same fruit and good, and good works. 
but for two different reasons. The law says, I forgive so I can get. I'll forgive others because I want to be forgiven. I want to get something from this. But grace says, grace is not to, to get God to forgive you, but because God has forgiven you. So we can easily misapply this principle throughout our daily lives. It's important to understand this so that sin doesn't have dominion over us. We need to understand that the law has the opportunity to ruin our lives because we can never, ever, ever meet its demands. And when we try to keep up with it and try to keep up with its demands, we're going to fail every single time. And when we fail or when we sin, it will run our lives because we'll continually be trying to get things that we want. And grace, on the other hand, grace provides victory. When you fail, you can know that God has already forgiven you. And this is not a license to sin by any means, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But this is where our relationship and our fellowship come into play. Again, I think we've talked about this in the past. Our relationship is something that is so secure it can never be broken. The Bible says that no one can pluck you out of my hand. Research, go back and study that where it says no one. And it, it's not just includes you not being able to pluck me out of my, but I can't pluck me out of my hand. There's nothing that, that, that can take me out of God's hand. But fellowship on the other side, fellowship is fragile. And we can, we can break our fellowship with God very easily. And we do so every single day. But we have an advocate with the Father that, that is faithful and just to forgive us our trespasses, to forgive us our sins if we'll simply go to him and keep a short account of those, those things. Because of grace, we're free to live in the accountability to the one that we serve as we yield to him in obedience. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, please. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 says, Know ye not to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. You see, grace makes us servants for and to God, not to sin, and certainly not to the law. Verse 19 continues on and says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmities of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanliness and to, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness, righteousness unto holiness, unto holiness, newness of life. This is where we can find ourselves sometimes getting confused when it comes to legalism. And we hear this term thrown out ignorantly and without regard from time to time. And legalism, the, ter the definition for legalism is adding to grace. It's, it's saying in turn that I'm adding to salvation that I can make salvation better. Acts chapter 15 and verse 1 says, And a certain man which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised 
after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. This was a vital question in the churches at this time. And we're going to talk about in Sunday school, actually they had to go up to Jerusalem and they had to, to talk about this thing. They had to have a church meeting, if you will. And, uh, and Acts goes through and, and, and lays out that church meeting for us in Acts chapter 15. But someone once said this about, about uh, grace. said, grace has no buts. Those who add buts to grace do not know God or his grace. There are no conditions or limits to grace. Grace is infinite and free, period. Period. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. A very familiar passage to us. You see, if you're trying to obtain grace by works, then you're missing the boat. If you're trying to get to God and to please God through your actions, it's never going to happen. If you're doing it because you're saved, to be obedient to God, now we might be on the right track. There's a number of things that legalism is not. It is not legalistic or legalism to require obedience. Romans chapter 5 and verse 19 says, For as by one man's uh, disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, many shall be made righteousness. And God expects our obedience. It is not legalism to expect our reasonable service. Again, another familiar passage, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech, you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beg you, I implore you, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, a lively, an active sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's not legalism to expect Christians to look out for someone else's best interest. Romans chapter 14 and verse 21 it is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. I think I share with you before, I have a, a, something I wrote down in the front of my Bible that says, love seeks the best for the object loved. And grace does that very same thing. Grace will always seek to build up. If what I do or what I say hampers anyone's ability to grow closer to God or to know God, it's simply not worth me doing it. It's not. It's not legalism to demand purity and holiness in our lives or our fellow believers' lives. Whether it's the purity of the word of God, Psalm chapter 12 and verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as, tried in the, as silver tried in the furnace of the earth. And purified seven times. We must believe in the purity, the completeness, the reliability of the word of God. God says he purified it for us. Or if it's purity and holiness in our, in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. We could go back to Romans chapter 6 and verse 19 again. It says, now yield yourselves, members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. Or even purity in our relationships. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is, not, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. God says that this has the possibility of provoking impure thoughts and actions. Legalism is not liberty to do whatever we desire. 
there's a growing philosophy out there. It's actually, it emerged circa 1517, just after the Protestant Reformation. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's called antinomianism. Maybe many of you have heard this. Antinomianism is defined as one who holds that under the gospel dispensation of grace, the moral law is of no use or obligation because faith alone is necessary. The moral law is of no use or obligation because faith alone is necessary to salvation. One who rejects the socially accepted or established morality. Maybe you've heard another term called moral relativism. That your morality is relative to whatever you believe. And so is mine. So if I want to go out and I want to kill babies and abort them, then morally, I'm okay with it, so it's okay. If you're not, maybe it's not okay for you. This philosophy of, of antinomianism is growing. There's three laws in the Word of God. We have the ceremonial law, that of the dietary and sacrifices, which has been done away with. We have the moral law, which talks of sin. We have the judicial, judicial law. The moral and the judicial law are still active. Those things haven't gone away. And antinomianism basically says, do what you want. Eat, drink, be merry. After all, you've been forgiven. Hey, you're going to heaven. You're saved, right? God can't pluck you. Nobody can pluck you out of God's hand. So why not live it up? Why not have a blast while you're here? That's what antinomianism means. And it's a grow, it's growing trend. Someone defined it as this, one who takes the principles of salvation by faith and divine grace to a logical endpoint by asserting that the saved are not bound to follow the law of Moses. And that's false. We have liberty to do what's right. We have liberty to do what God wants us to do. We have liberty to do what's best for God and his purpose for our life. That's what we have liberty to do. Not to satisfy our own flesh. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. I've asked this question of others before. How can you be prepared to give an answer at any time, at any point in time? How can you be prepared if you're serving the flesh? If you're seeking to serve the flesh, if that's what your desire is, if that's what your goal is, then how can you be prepared at any given time to do that? Imagine you're sitting around with your, with your unsaved friends doing whatever it is you do. Maybe you're having dinner and there's, there's jokes, dirty jokes being told. How can you be a testimony and share the gospel in that situation when you're involved in that? How can you be a God when, when cursings go on and, and, and maybe, maybe you're cursing? How can you be a minister of Christ with that type of language? If you're drunk, how can you testify? How can you be ready always, be ready always to give an answer? 
if you're out somewhere and you're drunk? What if you're gossiping? What if you're at work and you're trying, you're supposed to be working, but you're out goofing around? And you're, you're, how can you be a testimony? How can you share the gospel under those circumstances? If you're gossiping, what if you're, what if you're doing that very thing that you have trouble with? And somebody says, boy, I wish somebody could give me the gospel. And now your testimony's been, been tarnished. I've been there. I've said things to people that, that, that breaks my heart that pretty much avoided my opportunity to share the gospel. Romans chapter 6 and verse 15 says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Says God forbid. Legalism says you're righteous because you live righteous. But grace says you're righteous because you have been made righteous. Grace must be the focus of our Christian lives. Behind me is a cross. And that cross says a lot of things. But one thing it says is that the law has been overcome. That grace may abound. It says grace is the result of everything that happened concerning that cross. Skip down to Romans chapter 6 and verse 20. We are to be servants of God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 20 says, For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? Sin and disobedience should be shameful to us. And for the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and everlasting life. Let's be, clear, let's be clear this morning. We, we do not serve God to become a servant. We do not serve God to become a servant. You serve him because you are a servant. We're new creatures in Christ, free from condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, to them that, that walk not after the flesh. A lot of times we, we, don't, we don't keep reading on that. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Amen! To them who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, is what the Bible says. To serve and to obey. Friends, if you want to live in joy, then you need to live in the identity that God gave you. And that identity is grace. Don't live in the identity of the world, or that the identity that we get from the world, that of sin and despair and self-will and worldly desires. Don't identify with the law, but identify with grace. We contrast the law and grace the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Christ Jesus. The law says, do this and thou shalt live, but grace says, live and thou shalt do. Grace says, pay me what thou owest. Or the law says, pay me what thou owest. Grace says, I forgive thee all. The law says, the wages of sin is death. And grace says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. But grace says, Whoever, whosoever believeth in Jesus, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in him shall never die. The law says, make you a new heart and a new spirit. But grace says, a new heart will I give you and a new spirit will I put in you. The law speaks of man, what man must do for God. 
but grace tells of what Christ has done for man. You see, it's not about us. It's about him. It's not about what we want. It's not about what we desire. It's not about what makes us feel good. It's about what Christ has done. The law addresses man as, as part of an old creation, but grace makes man a member of a new creation. The law demands obedience by the terror of the Lord, but grace beseeches men by the mercies of God. The law demands holiness, but grace gives holiness. The law says convicting, and grace says embracing. Dare I say that many of us stand on the principles of the law to justify our actions. They did this, so they deserve that. End of story, cut and dry. Seeking revenge rather than restitution, seeking penalty rather than pity. The law pronounces condemnation and death, but grace proclaims justification in life. I've been thinking about a saying that we have in our Christian circle, that God will not give you more than you can handle. You know, through the lens of grace, I'm not sure that's a true statement. See, you and I can't handle anything to the glory of God on our own. Bear with me on this one, because I know we all say this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. We're all in the same boat. But God, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye ye are able, not on our own strength or our own will or our own merit, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. And that escape is grace. That ye may be able to bear it. Not about us, but about him. The deliverables of grace are much different than those of the law. When Moses was in Egypt to punish Pharaoh, he turned the waters into blood. But when Christ was on earth, He turned the water into new wine. It's different between law and grace. The law says killing, but grace says forgiving. The law says condemning, but grace says loving. When the law came out of Horeb, 3,000 men were destroyed. But at Pentecost, under grace, 3,000 men found new life. What a difference. When Moses came to the burning bush, he commanded to remove his shoes. But when the prodigal son came home after sinning, he was given a new pair of shoes to put on his feet. Would we not rather live under grace than under the law? Romans chapter 5 and verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 18, but if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, like me, you might be asking yourself a question this morning, who or what am I being led by? Does your righteousness come by way of the law? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If you're being led by the law, if you're being led by works, then it's not of God this morning. So how do you know? 
The truth is, our fleshly desires, I believe, make it very easy for us to gravitate towards the law. If I have a vested uh, product or a vested, if I, I have to put something into something, then it means more to me. Ask yourself this this morning, where your focus is. If your focus is on if I listen, if I look, if I bring, if I pay attention, if I make, if I obey, if I disobey, if I, if I, if I, then it's probably the law. But if your attention or your, your focus is on being forgiven, on being healed, on being blessed, on being righteous, on being holy, on being mighty, on being accepted, on being loved, then chances are it's probably of grace. See, God doesn't want us to be religious people. Religion emphasizes the importance of sacrifice and devotion and rituals and how much people need to do for God. But the gospel of grace emphasizes the importance of the sacrifice, sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. Satan wants religion. But God, he wants a relationship. The law focuses on you and what you must do. Grace focuses on Christ and what Christ has done. Under the law, God requires. But under grace, God provides. Which do we prefer? If you're here this morning and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, please don't walk out of here today. Without knowing that, there's so many people here that would be willing to sit down and talk to you and explain to you. Maybe you're here today and, and chances are, in our crowd, that everyone's saved. But maybe you're here today and you seem to, not, seem to, to lean towards the law to run your life. You don't have to do that. There's free grace available. Law is just going to put you in bondage. You continually try to do what you'll never be able to accomplish. But under grace, grace will free you. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that we can have the grace, the forgiveness that we surely don't deserve, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would empower us, Lord, to, to live lives that would be holy and acceptable unto you that would be our reasonable service in all that we do so that you might be glorified, Lord, in all things. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Because of God's grace, we're under his wings of protection. Let's turn to page 443. Under his wings, we'll sing the first and the third verses of page 443. Please stand. Under his wings I am safely abiding Though the night deepens and tempests are wild Still I can trust him I know he will keep me, he has redeemed me and I am his child, under his will. 
joy it is to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're going to be with you when we leave this place. And while we're here, we're protected by your loving care and your watchfulness. Continue to guide us. Continue to be with us for your honor and for your sake. Amen.